Well, I almost hate to admit it, but it's been 37 years since my last semester in seminary. And yet there's one particular chapel service that I will never forget. I don't remember if it's right before or right after Easter, but Dr. Anthony Campalo was the guest speaker for chapel. Back in those days, he was a professor at Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. He, he was an evangelical uh, who had a, a, a heart for social ministry. Fascinating guy, considered an expert in youth ministries. And that day, he stood up and he told us about the church where he and his wife attended. It's, a, it's an African-American church in Philadelphia. And uh, he described a Good Friday service from the year before. And I got to tell you, he was also selling his latest book. But this is the background for the book. It was a Good Friday service. There were seven guest preachers. Each of them were to speak 10 minutes or so on one of the seven last words. And then the senior pastor of the church was going to give a, a few closing remarks. Dr. Campalo had the seventh word. He had worked very hard on developing absolutely the perfect 10-minute message on into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he, he was real proud of himself when he got done because he did a fine job. And then the old senior pastor stood up and he described how very softly that senior pastor said, it was Friday. It was Friday and my Jesus was dead on a tree. But Sunday's coming. He got a little louder. It was Friday and Mary was crying her eyes out. The disciples were running around like sheep without a shepherd. But Sunday's coming. He got a little louder. It was Friday. And the cynics looked at this world and said, this world will never change. You can't change anything. You can't change anybody. But they didn't know it was only Friday and Sunday's coming. It was Friday and Pilate thought he had washed himself of a lot of trouble. The Pharisees were strutting around and poking each other in the ribs, believing that they were back in charge. But it was only Friday and Sunday's coming. It was Friday and the powers that oppressed the poor and caused them to suffer, they thought they were still in control. But it was only Friday and Sunday's coming. He went on, he told how the, the old preacher said that over and over for an hour, or for, for 30 minutes, and then for an hour, and then an hour and 15 minutes, and then an hour and a half. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And louder and louder he got, and Dr. Kampala said, we almost felt like we couldn't stand it anymore. It was so exciting. And then with one last gasp, he yelled at the top of his voice, it's Friday! And 500 people shouted back, but Sunday's coming. 
Well, friends, Sunday has come. And Friday's tragedy has been turned into triumph. That's why we're all here this morning, isn't it? That's what we want to hear. That's the hope we want to have deep in our souls that God, who was there in the tragedy of Friday on Sunday, can turn that tragedy into our triumph. When, I, when I've lost a loved one, when the, the prognosis of the doctor isn't what I wanted, when I got that pink slip at, at work or that letter of rejection from that job for which I interviewed or that school where I wanted to study, don't we want to know that God can turn our tragedies into triumph? When my marriage is failing and when, when as a parent I watch my children struggling and making a mess of their lives, when my friend is losing the battle to addiction, when, when life is unfair, when I'm searching for, for meaning and direction and I just don't seem to find it anywhere, when I've been hurt and I don't know if I can take it anymore, isn't that what we long to hear? That God can take every tragedy and turn it into a triumph. That is the message that came out of the garden that emanated from that open tomb so very long ago. This morning, I want us to begin by, by taking a look at, at one of the central characters here, and that's John. For three, it's been three years since John left the boats and the nets and answered the call to follow Jesus. And what a three years it has been. He has seen the most miraculous things take place. He, he has watched when, when Jesus turned water to wine and, and when Jesus cast out demons and healed the sick and, and fed hungry people with a little boy's lunch. He has been on the mountain, the side of the mountain, when Jesus gave that great message of God's kingdom. And he was there at the top of the mountain with with. With Peter, and, and, uh, with Peter and James when Elijah and Moses appeared and they heard the voice of God speak. He was there at the front of the parade a week before when the crowds welcomed them into Jerusalem and at the table beside Jesus when he spoke of a betrayer. He saw how quick, how fickle people are when just Five days later, after they welcomed him, crowds are calling for Jesus' death. And he's there at the cross. He was there watching as Jesus hung there among two thieves. He was there watching as Jesus breathed his last breath. He was there watching, grieving, when they pierced his side and confirmed that he was dead. He was there and he watched when they anointed his body with the spices 
and wrapped it with the linens and placed it in a borrowed tomb and then sealed it. And everything told him it's over. All of their hopes and dreams had died that Friday. And even when he goes back to that tomb on Saturday, on Sunday, he doesn't see anything at first that would tell him anything different. Because you see, John wasn't expecting evidence of resurrection. In fact, the text tells us that they did not yet understand the scriptures, that Jesus must be raised from the dead. He only went to that tomb that Sunday because Mary had come and said, somebody's stolen the body. He only came because in his mind, Friday's tragedy had turned into a crisis of cruelty. And the text says that when he got there, and he outran Peter, he got there first, but when he got there, he stopped. He looked in. And that was it. I bet more than a few of us have been right there. You look in. You want to believe. You, you, you want to believe that God has something more in store. You want to believe that God can end my hurts. You want to believe that life goes on. You want to believe that, that there's some great purpose God has for me. But you know, I've been disappointed in the past. I've been hurt in the past. And I'm not sure if I can really entrust myself into God's hands. I want to but it's so hard. That's where John was. But the story says that then he went in and he saw. What did he see? The text says the, the linens, the, the cloths that wrapped his head were folded in one place. The linens that wrapped his body, they were still in their folds in another place. Now, the Greek rendering of that is very clear. This is not a scene of, uh, of somebody coming in, stripping the, the body and throwing down the rags and running off. It's not just clothes discarded. That literally, as one commentator says, when he looked at the scene, it looked as though Jesus simply evaporated within the folds, the linens. John looked at that. And the story says, and he believed. Because there's no other explanation for what he saw than simply that something miraculous, something wondrous, something that only God can do took place in that tomb. And he believed. And friends, we're not here today just to look back on a tomb, to peek inside. We're here to go that other step. And if we're going to do that, there's some issues in this story that, that I hope we will take away with us, some, some insights and truths. And the first one is this. 
That open tomb is an, is an eternal reminder that God has power over every adversity, every adversary that we would ever encounter. They thought that day, Jesus' enemies thought on Friday that they were done with him. They thought when they put that body in the tomb and they sealed it, that this is it. But, but God's love for this world, God's love for you and me, overcame all of the hate that was spewed at the foot of the cross. And even though they roll a stone in front of that tomb and they put soldiers there to guard it, no soldier, no stone can stop what God intends or usurp God's plans and leave them in upheaval. And the good news is the very power that brought Jesus out of that grave it is present wherever God's grace is known. And what that tells us is there is, no, there is no tomb that cannot be opened. There is no storm that cannot be stilled. There is no, there is no failure that cannot be overcome. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. There is no soul that cannot be redeemed. The power that came forth out of that tomb is the very power that brought all of creation into existence and is it loose in this world recreating all that God has made. And that includes you and me. And that includes every circumstance in which we find ourselves. Here's the second thought. God will always have the final word. Now, in 38 years of marriage, I have learned that it's not good for me to have the final word. And, and yet it's something that I can't resist trying to have. Because I want to have the final word. Just the way it is. I'm so glad that it's God and not me with the final word. If, I mean, you think about it. That's, that's present, that's clear throughout the biblical story. Remember in Genesis 6 when humankind is so evil, they've fallen so far away, it looks like they're headed to, to just, that, that God's created Order is just a disaster. But God's going to have the final word. Not yet. And there's a flood and there's a cleansing and there's a new beginning. Humankind gets so prideful. Remember this? They want to build a tower all the way to heaven to make a name for themselves. And God says, I don't think so. And, the, and, and, and there's, there's confusion and there's a scattering. And when God seeks to bring his people out of Egypt and Pharaoh says, I'm going to get them, and they're stuck between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies and it looks like Pharaoh's going to succeed, God says, I don't think so. And the final word is, Moses, get the people moving, the waters part, the people cross over to the other side. 
One day, their descendants, the warriors of their descendants are going to be camped in their tents. And across the way, every day comes this giant of a man out there taunting them, daring them, taunting and ridiculing their God. Nobody does anything. And God says, I don't think this is going to go on. And in the, in the voice of a shepherd boy, and five smooth stones and a slingshot, God's going to have the final word when that giant is toppled. And when God's people are languishing in exile, the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, the temples and totally destroyed, and they begin to feel like we can never, ever have what we once had that our lives are over as we knew it. God says, I don't think so. And he brings them home. That's the final word. And with Jesus, he had the final word. It might be your sins are forgiven or, or go and sin no more. His final word might have been take up your mat and walk. His final word might have been a word saying, you will be my disciples. Go and make disciples. Follow me. But Jesus' final word is always a word of hope, encouragement, a word that points us to the future that God holds for us. And nothing, not anything in life is going to interfere with what God intends. God has the final word. If it had stopped with Friday, that final word would have been defeat, despair, and utter futility. But not on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, the final word was, was the word of new birth, new beginnings, new life. For you, for me, for all of creation. That leads me to offer this third, this third thought. And we've come to this place several times in this series. But it's this. When we stand in the garden, we do have a decision to make. Think about the three people who made their way to the tomb. Mary got there first. She saw the open team and that Je the fact Jesus wasn't there. And she chose to, to, to believe the worst. Somebody stole him. Peter and John get to the tomb. Peter sees everything that John says, but there's not one record of any response on his part. Only John chooses to, to believe and to let the open tomb be the final word. Now Mary, in a few moments, will have have that place, that come to that place in her encounter with Jesus, Peter himself will have his own moment. But in the garden, only one of them, only one of them chooses to let God, the, to let God have the final word at that moment. God wants to have the final word in every one of our lives. There's a great story from history. It's June the 18th, um, 1815. 
It is the day when General Wellington meets Napoleon in the Battle of Waterloo. All of England is waiting to hear how the battle ended. And, and, and one of the signalmen in the British Corps, his job is to, is to use the semaphore, the lights, and to transmit the message. So the battle's over, and he begins the transmission, and he has to blink, blink every letter. He laboriously blinks out, Wellington. And then he gets the second word, letter by letter, defeated. And then a fog rolls in. And England is in a panic. They think they have lost the battle. They think they have lost their future. But then the fog lives. And the signalman sends the message again. The first word, Wellington. The second word, defeated. And then came a third word, Napoleon. Changes everything, doesn't it? I mention that because I want you to do something today. I want everybody to get their bulletin and look on the page where it says worship notes. I want you to write down these words. Jesus defeated. Write those two words down. Jesus defeated. That's the chorus of Good Friday. And if Good Friday is the end, a period goes there. Below that, I want you to write those same two words in a second line. Jesus defeated. Then I want you to draw a blank after the word defeated. I want you to look at your life. Just take a moment, look within. What is the adversary with which you're struggling this morning? Is it an addiction? Is it a loss of hope? Is it a... a a resentment you can't let go of? Is it some fear about the future? Some anger that has just got a hold of you? Is it some sin in your life that you cannot overcome? I want you to look at that second line, Jesus defeated. And whatever it is for you, write it out there. Go ahead and put it down. And then look at those two sentences. Jesus defeated. That's tragic. But when you add the third and final word, there's triumph. There's joy. There's resurrection. We've all come to church today on Easter Sunday because more than anything else, we want to rejoice at our hope. But my friends, I hope we don't stop there. It's not that God turned a tragic Friday into a triumphant Sunday. That's not all of it.
The question is, will I give God the opportunity to turn the tragedies into, that have occurred in my life into another triumph of His grace? Only then, only then can Easter truly be in our hearts. Amen.